Hello and welcome back. This is Chris Marquardt with another episode of The Future of Photography. And uh, today it's me and Jeremiah. Hi there. Hi. Hello. Hello. Hello there. The other two. It's pre-Christmas time. It's pre-holidays time. It's Everyone's busy. So they're Christmas shopping for us. Probably. No <laughs> we're holding up the fort. <laughs> yeah. We're, we can't wait to see what they've bought us. <laughs> yes. Let's see. Um, okay, last last week the episode uh, on movie production we didn't finish that. We're not continuing this episode here um, because I think we want everyone together, especially Emar, because she will have some questions about Christmas vacation for sure. <laughs> and I'm exhausted. It's probably <laughs> yeah. This this turned out to be <laughs> way bigger topic to talk about than just one episode. So we are preparing more of that in the future let us know if you liked it um and we have another topic don't don't let us know if you didn't like it (laughs) exactly just just tell us if you liked it the rest we don't want to know um the the, we have an episode prepared well we we kind of have some thoughts down on it and let's see what develops here uh, about creativity because that is an ingredient in photography that well um not necessarily the most important i think there's a lot of photography that is not very creative but very effective but um a lot of photographers want the creative aspect as well so um the the reason i have an idea sure why don't why don't you take a shot at defining the difference between (laughs) an image taken within a creative process and one that's taken outside of that and don't don't say a cctv camera no 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 no, for the non-creative i mean i mean i'm thinking that for example some some catalog product photography isn't very creative it's um it's there to present a product in in the best possible light in the best possible from the best possible angles and um it's a very repetitive process so a photographer who takes a picture of one brown tooth toothbrush um and takes another five of different models is probably not going to do something groundbreaking in terms of creativity um if i'm out with a band to take pictures for their new website for their new album um then that's more of a creative process there's more of a give and take there's more of a uh, let's explore things. Let's try out things. Let's try to recreate something that was there before, but maybe not quite. And and explore different styles and different settings, and come to a result that that wasn't clear from the beginning. Do you think that um, artificial intelligence will replace those catalog? Photographers, you're going in other deep words. right in the beginning. <laughs> Start off deep. <laughs> I'm fascinated by taking pictures with no creative sensibility at all, like just like uh, it's a toothbrush <laughs> capture, capture, um, capture. You know, I think. Well, there are there are AIs out there that um, yeah, that there are. that 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 work uh, to to be well that that are being trained to be creative in some way. Um, I've seen an example from a non-visual field uh, of I heard about it, which was uh, an AI that comes up with new recipes for cooking, and 
And the interesting thing is that that, that AI has uh, thousands and tens of thousands of different recipes um, so, that are proven to work. So it knows that this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient together work, and but they don't work with that ingredient. So there is this implicit, well, neural network that develops over time when it's being trained on these recipes. And then it starts suggesting new recipes with unusual combinations of things that a, a chef you... wouldn't have thought about. And then turns out that some of those at least are good. It takes a human to then try them, to cook them and to see if they work. But um... Do you think that um, it's culturally um, sensitive? I have no idea. Tastes... <laughs> I, well, AIs are always uh, are only as good as the data that they're being trained with. I think that's is why I, that's why I'm asking. That's I, that's know. what we can agree on at least now. Yeah. So, <clears throat> if those recipes are all, um, I don't know, good old German recipes, then that's what you will probably get out of them. I could see a product studio with a a, a combination robot and camera that basically you know you just kind of put a box of stuff there and the robot comes and goes oh this is the toothbrush brings it to a white background take it moves it off moves it off, you know something else I, I can see that replacing the catalog photographer of the future oh this is already but happening I, this is already happening is the the one company that um and and this is not an ai these are still people doing it but the one company that does some of the best um, virtual non-existing product photography that comes out of the computer is IKEA. The ninety-five percent, ninety-five percent of an IKEA catalog are not real photos; they are virtual photos. But that's not not an AI doing that. No. I, by the way, to that, and we'll get back on topic in a second because now we're talking about non-creative, right? But. <laughs> The interesting thing about uh, the IKEA catalog is there are um, catalogs of the catalog in which architects can basically pull all of the associated polygons from an IKEA object or asset or actor, depending on how you frame it in terms of what software you're using, and create a virtual room using the virtual recreations of the IKEA furniture. Mm -hmm. And you could just do that now, anybody. I mean, that's, again, coming out of the Unreal world, um, the Unity world. There are um, sites that are specific for architects, and they draw from uh, a huge amount of, of catalog. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> IKEA. But all kinds of catalogued furniture, IKEA being one of them. So there yeah. you go. That that's the non-creative aspect of, I guess, image making. But on the creative side, well, that's a whole spiritually uplifting, so connective tissue. Creativity. Um, I mean, there are definitions. I mean, to create creativity means you you make something that is new. Um, often it means you do that by not just make, making something out of thin air, but by using existing concepts and putting them together in new ways. And then you end up with something new that um, still has a semblance to some of the 
uh, pre-existing stuff. So that's one definition. And I mean, you you can have a an AI or a computer stick together things in a new way or in a way that hasn't been done before and see if it works or uh, maybe have a human then decide if it works or doesn't work. Um, but one thing that almost causes creativity and i came across this a while ago well there there are three ingredients in in creativity that i want to briefly talk about and um i came across a tweet by the author stephen king who himself uh, mm-hmm. have you read his book on writing yes um so he's he's i mean he's an ama- amazingly creative person and he uh linked to an article um about Linda Berry, I think the, she's mm-hmm. a comedian. Um, uh, 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 she, she a cartoonist, cartoonist, cartoonist educator. Yeah, yeah that's that's yeah. what she is. Um, I, I didn't know about her before that. I looked her up, and um, there's this article that is titled "Linda Berry on how the smartphone is endangering three ingredients of creativity: loneliness, uncertainty, and boredom." <laughs> And I'm 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 interested. First of all, is that true? Are these ingredients of creativity? And second, can a computer, can an AI, be lonely? Can it be? Can it have uncertainty? And can it have boredom? Can it be bored? Well, I, are I these really the, are these really necessary for creativity? Well, I, I on first blush, you'd say yes, because a, a computer can't initially, I think, now truly be creative because. It could be recreative uh, in some ways because everything that's kind of invested in the uh, algorithms that will create something that wasn't here yesterday was in fact inputted to some degree by creative people, whether it's in how they coded it, what combinations of codes they used, or what, what training data of, they used. All of that. Yeah. Uh, so that that was. You know, making a decision about what you just said, training data, right? So that's a creative decision. Well, we've never really trained a computer to recognize X. So how are we going to do that? You know, we're going to feed it 30,000 pictures of individuals. And we're going to say, we want you to spot the terrorist here. And, you know, out of every, you know, 5,000 that go, and he's a terrorist and she's a terrorist. and um. But choosing those photographs uh, was a creative process. Uh, it hasn't really worked. Doesn't really work. So I, I I really feel that that the the computer is not really capable of the inspired creative moment. That's not to say that computers cannot create compelling, emotional, and interesting work that humans respond to, but I don't call it creative. Right. Going back to Linda Barry, Linda Barry, you know, she, she drew cartoons for the Village Voice in New York for years and years, and she's now become quite well-known. She's published books and et cetera, and, and she's, she's a real great writer, Ball's cartoonist. But her, her kind of, she posits that, that A, loneliness, their loneliness is a very, very good kind of um, uh, spice, sometimes 
you know, brutal and 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 emotionally destructive. When you but work when you work as a filmmaker, that there's not much boredom there, right? There's lots of people around you. There's a there's an entire team. There's a director of photography. There's a gaffer and so well. on. I've um, never experienced boredom in my life, so I don't really know what that is. But but but, uh, but when you when you do your own photography, when you do your photography, the the yeah the, the personal one, well, you you also don't get bored, right? You don't do this out no, of I, boredom. No, but but I do it out of uh, a sense of being connected. I mean, mm. you know, like boredom is like if I d would define boredom, boredom is an internal. It's kind of you're focused on on the inside, and the inside is kind of blank. There's nothing stimulating. I mean, I could be waiting at the you know the Department of Motor Vehicles for an hour to you know to renew my license, right? And you know that that would be a good example of a place one could get bored. But you know, in, in sitting there, and I'm not talking about kind of being actively focused on my iPhone or playing games or whatnot, but just sitting there. And I look out and I could study so much of my environment and really learn from it, eavesdrop on people, uh, listen to conversations. All of those things connect me to the world. I, I, I feel engaged in the world. But if I was truly depressed and, and I, I wasn't seeing the environment in which I was, that sense of what I would imagine boredom would be, could be very um, significant in motivating me to break out by actually doing something. Mm -hmm. And by doing something, you shake that off. Um, like, I'm, you know, I direct uh, plays every now and again, and I did one a few years ago on a boxer. And, and in, in about three weeks, uh, we're taking it and we're going to perform it at San Quentin oh, you know, wow. prison. Yeah. So, you know, you're dealing with people who, <laughs> an audience who are like, yeah, this is going to be great. They're so into it. Because imagine being in a cell all day. That, that kind of mundane day in, day out um, experience could create a you know, a, a field of depression and boredom. But out of that came um, some, you know, Malcolm X wrote, um, you know, Stan Williams, who founded the Crips, uh, wrote books, inspired many, many people, young people to kind of move away from, from gangs. So even in, in a confined space that, that is, you know, as limited in terms of one's experience in the world, one could still turn it on and engage with the world. And here's, so it, uh, you know. Here's a, here's a quote yeah. from Linda Berry that, that she wrote in a book, and that's in the article that, uh, that we're linking in the show notes. Um, and it kind of, I think, shows that everyone has a creative side in them um, and that, that tries to come out when they're bored. And I love this. Okay, so let, let me quote. Boring meeting. You have a pen. The usual clowns are yakking. Most people will draw something, even people who can't draw. I say, if you're bored, what do you draw? And everybody has something they draw. Like, oh, yeah, my little guy, I draw him. Or I draw eyeballs or palm trees. So I asked them, why do you think you do that? Why do you think you doodle during those meetings? 
I believe that it's because it makes having to endure that particular situation more bearable by changing our experience of time. It's so slight, it all. I always say it's the difference between if you're not doodling, the minutes feel like a cheese grater on your face. But if you are doodling, <laughs> it's more like a Brillo. It's not much better, but there's a difference. You could handle Brillo a little longer than a cheese grater. I <laughs> love this quote so much. Yeah. So I, I, I think everyone has that in them. The the problem is, and I think she's right there, is that we have this machine with us that helps us kill boredom easily, and it does it all the time. So we rarely ever get to that point where we just want to make a little doodle and let our minds wander. I I could not agree more. Um, there's all for those of us who are lucky enough to be born with that gene. Um, you know, we find engagement and creativity in almost every moment of our lives. At least that's the um, aspiring aesthetic that we approach. And, you know, we, we've chosen photography, image making, capturing. Um, and is that enough? Uh, you know, for some it is and for some it's not. But, you know, for musicians, they want to create music. For painters, they want to create painting. For architects, they want to create buildings. They may not be able to build those buildings, but they can still create them. Screenwriters can write the most incredible screenplays. Will they become movies? Some will, some won't. That doesn't take away from the moment of genius that they may feel, deserved or not, on what they're writing. So. I think that that being creative is um, an essential ingredient uh, to deal with the forces of negativity that surround us mm -hmm. constantly. There's one more ingredient that we haven't talked about yet, but um, that you kind of hinted at in the last episode on movie production, and that is, um, well, let's call it lack of resources. Mm limitation you 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 only have uh i, th I think you mentioned the one the wonders the scenes yeah, we that we're talking that you, about time we were talking about time. you're limited on time so you have to do something and you do not have a second try because the sun is gonna go away or something well yeah you can you can write a novel you know on you know on on a roll of toilet paper with a pencil and that novel could be one of the greatest works of art ever created, uh, literarily, uh, you don't need much. You just need an imagination and a will to do so. Um, I think limitations um, uh, are, are, are the seed um, of creativity. I, I would say that as humans, we are limited by, you know, our, our environment, um, our social standing, um, our, our kind of often our our health, um, you know, where we live, the the luck or lottery of our birth, all of those things are both um, limits and and uh, it inspiring aspects if we approach it correctly. Um, one only has to travel in places where people have very little. To understand that the creative process is not something that is necessarily, you know, you don't require uh, enormous assets to be creative. Um, 
And do you, did you see the um, the film that uh, Herzog did the the uh, in the caves? Um, you know where where you're seeing forty thousand year old fingerprints on a wall. No, I didn't the see most, that. Um, it, it just it absolutely incredible um, creativity and and painting by people who lived. Thirty or forty thousand years ago, what what did they have? You know, skins—the ability to hunt a tribe, probably of no more than you know twenty people—and yet they were able to express themselves in the most beautiful ways. And so, uh, you know, I, I live by those. I remember um, a lot of bands that I used to listen to. Uh, and and some of their really early work was some of the most creative and then they got a bigger record contract and they would have more money than they ever had and they would have like a good budget for the next record and it wasn't as exciting anymore because they didn't have that many limitations is there anything in your work that you um that you do in order to well, I, I i would i would expect a lot of your productions being well budgeted uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, is there anything no, it that ranges? You, it, it completely ranged. Um, is there anything you know, that you money. that you specifically do in order to keep some limitation up for for more creativity, or is that not an objective? No, it's not an objective, but it's something that I don't fight. In other words, every project, no matter how big or small it is, has its own sense of limitation. Mm -hmm. Like for example, if you're working on a studio movie, then you're spending a tremendous amount of money. There are pressures on you, um, whether those pressures come from inside or outside, what the expectations are. Those are all kind of fundamental in decision-making. Um, it's very rare in cinema to, to have this kind of purity of experience. It's a very collaborative medium, and because it's so expensive, even on the small-budget films, uh, you know, it's expensive. A million-dollar movie is not an expensive movie. It's still a million dollars. So, you know, even a micro-budget movie of two hundred and fifty or 350000 that's a lot of money for an individual. On the other hand, writing a novel is, you know, pretty cheap. Uh, I think what you really need to do, as if you're an artist or if you see yourself as a creative person, is explore your limitations, understand what those are and embrace those. And out of the embracing of limitations will explode a creative sense of what is possible. Now, you have worked uh, with all sorts of media in your, uh, in your filmmaker career. And uh, you obviously started with film and then you some, at some point transitioned to capturing in digital. And no, it started with photography. Oh, I, it, okay, okay, but but uh, yeah. the movie making part of it. Yeah. Was film mm -hmm. first and then uh, transitioned yeah, into digital. That, that's right. So yeah. I I would just imagine that uh having to work with film is more limiting because you have only so much footage that you can capture so many feet of uh film to to capture and then when it's over it's over. Uh whereas with digital you can I don't know have have the camera running longer, try a second or third or fourth, fourth take. 
that you couldn't in film. Has that change uh, somehow influenced the the creativity of your work? Uh, for me, um, it certainly uh, informs the process of the work. Um, but again, I don't like if you look at how Clint Eastwood works, for example. He'll come onto the set, and he'll go, "Okay, we ready? Here's the shot." action and cut okay move on hmm. <laughs> that's it there's no second takes unless there's a technical problem but that, but that also um, means he knows his actors and he knows that they can deliver on the spot he trusts those actors yes. and those actors who may be used to doing like well i'm really good when i get into take seven or eight that's when i really hit it oh, it's like they will be very like, surprised yeah, well, you do do that in your trailer yes. <laughs> do the first six because you come out here you deliver Is that a limitation? Can he do 100 takes if he wanted to? Absolutely. For him, imposing that pressure on the situation creates an energy and a demand on those around him that creates something specific. Mm -hmm. So I don't like, I'm happy to work with, and in any kind of way in terms of my filmmaking, I'm at the point where. I don't I I don't see shooting on film as limiting. I prefer digital just because I'm impatient. <laughs> I don't, Very true. I don't want to wait for the lab. Also the labs are not what they used to be. You know, the the process of getting your print and and you know capturing it. Now if there's a project like uh I was discussing last episode that would be best served by film, then I'm I'm all over shooting on film. But sometimes, for example, if you're shooting comedy, comedy is a wonderful thing to keep the 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 camera rolling, as it were, because you know, you, you shoot this the the scene as written and then like you go, let's try it this way, let's try it that way. Um the improvisational aspect of the comedic a actor is so much integrated into the unexpected that you just get a lot of magic there. And then if and you have someone you, in front of the camera like Robin Williams, um, I think you want to have the camera rolling longer. Yeah, you just let it go. And, just let and him do his thing. get great stuff. Yeah. So, so I, I think on that, on that level of, you know, filmmaking, when, like I, I, I've done comedies on film, You just let it roll, and then when it runs out, <laughs> you reload and you do it again. It's not. Um, I don't think it's as 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 kind of cut and dry. The creative process, I think, is really um, served by understanding the limitations of what you have. I think if you have an infinity of choices, that's when you start to kind of create a a kind of cycle of doubt because there's so hmm. many different ways to do it that it's never finished has kubrick ever done a comedy uh sure one of one of the great ones uh you know um, cuz cuz he is cuz he's the director who's uh who's known for um his thousands of takes well not quite thousands but uh, yeah uh he 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 was a perfectionist in excess to the point where he bought his own gear 
um, because yeah, that, would, right. that would allow him to yeah. keep shooting without having to think about paying rent for the gear. So he has his own lenses and his own cameras and everything. Um, yeah. He, um, I was uh, going to comment on, he made one of the great comedies, Dr. Strangelove. Oh, that is true. Okay. <laughs> but is, is it a, well, it, it is a comedy, a, but it's not just it's a, comedy. a comedy. It's a bit more well, than that. No. Well, hopefully it's more than that, but uh, it, it's pretty damn funny and ironic. I it mean, is, it's pretty yes. great. Yes. But, you know, uh, Stanley's um, approach is, um, and we shared an AD and assistant director on, on a film, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet him and because and, um, we were both shooting at Pinewood at the same time. But his, his process is very, very specific and very unusual and very unique to, to him. Um, he was able to do it because he could keep his budgets down, number one, because he owned all the gear. He would not have a lot of drivers standing around. They'd load in, and they would mainly light to create practicals, and then they would all go, and he would just, there were no stand-ins. He'd just work with the actors who wanted to be with him. But he would do things like, um, he would do multiple takes to the point of breaking down, and Fincher, I think, works like that too, where in a dialogue scene, if you do it over and over and over and over and over again, the words start to sound to you. The they, actor, they lose like their meaning, like, right? That's right. They're like yeah. gibberish. Yeah. And, and so you have to go through that to then come out of that to find new meaning in the words. And, uh, you know, I don't think he did it for certainly all his movies, certainly not his early movies. But I think that there is, and I know many actors who've worked with him, I do think that it's just a process you know, discussion uh, that, that really, really um, works with your relationship with the actors of just exploration. I mean, when you're doing theater, often, you know, in the rehearsal period, you are exploring so much of the dynamic of the meaning of the words and how how the nuances are are kind of befitting a scene. And of course, once it's mounted, the actors themselves, because they're they're doing it, you know, eight times a week, they look to different ways of creating those dialogue moments in order to bring a fresh attitude towards it. So, you know, uh, you know, Kubrick and 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 Clint Eastwood have diametric diametrically opposed <laughs> processes, but both are wonderful directors and and you know find really their truth in their methods. Okay, uh, so so how did we get from from a uh, creativity episode back into movie production? <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> it's me. I think it's we're my fault. I, yeah, but I think what we're really talking about is everyone's process is kind of um, is unique to them or can be unique to them. And and setting those limitations, like for example, going back to Kubrick, you know, all his sets were kind of lit practically or appeared to be lit practically. There's no light stands and stands all around there. Uh, so pr practically, that, just just as an explanation for for everyone listening, is lights that are not just lighting the, the scene, but they're visible in the camera. Right. And and with that, you know, there there's a sense of where you could go and where you can't go, where you would go and be in the dark and where you would go and, and be lit. 
So the actors themselves had to adjust to that process. So for them, it was, in, you know, there's a lot of creative dynamic. Um, other actors, you know, we talked about Jim Jarmusch, you, you know, he set a frame and they would move in and out. So that, that's as it relates to cinema. But in, in photography, I think that given a, like if I said, Chris, I want you for the next 24 hours to do a folio of 12 photographs of rocks. Yep. That's it. I know. I don't care. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what, you know, what cameras you use, if it's film, digital, if it's black and white color, if you process it with Photoshop, if you use plugins or not, I don't care. Just bring me 12 photographs of rocks and I will do 12 photographs of rocks. And then we'll just look at each other's images. That to me is inspiring. You know what I mean? And Oh, going yes, out with yes, that I limitation is yes, I so do. exciting. I have, a, I have an exercise that I often give, uh, give people, and that is lock yourself in the bathroom and take 100 photos. Yeah. I, and, I, you will, and you will go through this, uh, through the f first 20, and you'll be fine, and then you might get some repetition with the next 20 pictures. And when you're at 60 pictures, you're starting to rip your hair out and because you can't find anything interesting anymore. And then you'll be doing boring stuff for another 10, 15 pictures. And then in the last 20 photos, you will start, something's going to click, something's going to fall in place, um, at least with a lot of people. And you start doing the really out there stuff and you end up with uh, being creative because you can't, you can't not be at this point. That's right. And especially if you tell them that you cannot shoot more than 100. So all of a sudden you're at 94 and you're just getting lit up yeah. and you're like, oh my God, I only have six more frames yeah. now. I have, I have often had the really creative bits of photo shoots with people in, at the end of two hours, in the last 10 I've, minutes. I agree with that. I, I, I do agree with that. And, and I have a, a, a much longer story of how I actually learned photography, which I'll take offline because it's very well, long. But, everyone but, wants to hear it now. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about it right now. It's in the, that, that's another interesting um, okay. subject for an episode is how we, we began as photographers, right? Oh, very good, yes. Um, uh, make, make a note of that. I'm doing um, that right now. <laughs> but but uh, long story, I'll just give you a snippet of it. I, I was in a very small apartment for 30 days, um, and I couldn't leave. And um, th that moment of, you know, when I knew I was going to be in there, I went and I bought every book on photography. I bought an enlarger. I bought chemicals. I bought a camera. I bought film. <laughs> All of that. I had no idea. And I literally, after one month, I emerged as a photographer who could take a photo, print, and, you know, uh, uh, anyway, a long story. But, but that limitation of what you can do if your, obsess your obsession is finding an image where you are. And there's so much around us where we were talking about boredom, right? In other words, if you start to open your, your, your eyes and, 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 you know, kind of 
dedicate your hearing, um, smell. There's just so much life around us to engage in that that should inspire us. And and just finding a medium, and in our case, certainly it's photography, and and with the advent of iPhones, etc., it becomes easier and easier to get over the technical, um, which puts you closer to the kinds of things that are an appreciation of nature. I mean, we look at Emer's photos, they're so beautiful. They're so, in a way, melancholic and, and Irish and, you know, moody. And, and she proudly is like, I shoot with my iPhone, you know what I mean? I don't, I'm not technical and whatnot. But she uses very sophisticated technology in the mm-hmm. most simple way to create very sophisticated images. So um, our relationship with our technologies and our uh, engagement with the world around us, our universe, how we think and feel about it, I think that's really the, the kind of seed of creativity that all of us need to withstand the pressures of everyday life. I think this is a good sentence to end this episode on. Um, yeah, very exciting. And everyone, try that. Try that limitation. And if it's and if it's simply just a little a little task that you give yourself, only shoot triangles for a day, or only shoot blue things for a day. Um, that's enough limitation sometimes to get your creativity going. So, oh yeah, uh, the pick of the so week. Pick of the week. Do you have one? Yeah, I, I actually have uh, have have a few. Um, there is a uh, just just to give a sense of how crazy creative processes are. There's there's a photographer called Miyu Kojima, mm-hmm. and you know she works for this company that cleans up after people have died, lonely people in their apartments, and that's what she does. It's kind of a you know, probably a pretty drudge-filled work, a little sad. But what she's done, she's only 26 years old, and she's created miniature recreations of each room. Oh, no. And photographs, they are absolutely incredible. And so um, you, you can find true artistry, creativity um, in ways that are so surprising and and you know i i certainly have posted a couple of places to you know to experience her work and on the flip side of that and and this is kind of an interesting aspect of you know the linda barry of it all but there is a website called toothpaste for dinner i don't You're aware of that. Nope, but I'm looking it up right now. (laughs) Talk about drawing something, right? (laughs) So that's that's, that's an online comic strip. It's an online comic strip. We've been doing it for many, many, many years. And um, what I like about it is, like, these... (laughs) These drawings are the crudest drawings, but he has thousands of these, just thousands of them. And, you know, you can you go to the site, you can click on a random one, and there is this wonderful, ironic, funny connection with 
I guess, postmodern living that he captures in the, you know, in the most basic way, doodling, I would imagine. Um, so I, I, I invite um, all our listeners to, you know, to experience toothpaste for dinner. Link in the show notes for sure. Um, so I do only have one pick of the week, and it's again an episode of of the of the podcast Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, the podcast we um, talked about last week, and uh, that is about design, about uh, yeah, um, creating things, a creative endeavor and uh one of those is kind of photography related um it's a pretty recent episode uh, titled the kirkbride plan and it is about uh the over 100 um abandoned asylums in the united states that yeah. have been around since i don't know forever and uh, a lot of photographers will know at least some of those from what's called the urban exploration type of photography, where you uh, enter, uh, maybe even trespass into abandoned buildings. And a lot of those are asylums, and they have this very eerie quality. And uh, this is a, an episode on the background of those, not about urban photography, urban exploration, but about how these asylums came to be and what their story is. So next time you decide to do some urban exploration, you will have some more background. And I kind of like that. I love it. Yeah, great episode. So I think we are at the end of episode 108 of the Future of Photography. Um, again, you can find us on our website, thefutureofphotography.com. There are ways to contact us, our Twitter handles, our websites, and so on. You can Twitter, tweet us directly at TFOP now. That's our Twitter handle, TFOP now. And um, we'll be back in a week from now with, oh, it's the Christmas episode in a week. So, oh, fun. Until then, everyone, take care. Bye bye. Okay. And bye bye. You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Music